the reading of the uh, scripture, reading from Isaiah 52, 10. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And then from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A uh, very quick uh, confession. I'm not going to uh, engage this morning in our usual practice of uh, expositing the scriptures. Uh, simply going to give a summary of the book of Acts. We finished our, our study in Acts uh, last week. And uh, by God's grace, I would just simply like to do a theological summary of some of the most important themes in the book. It's a biting reminder of uh, God's, uh, God's grace to the church. Um, and uh, my study is essentially going to be a balancing act between of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, and then uh, the New Testament uh, uh, author Luke, uh, because it's my conviction that Luke uh, relies a great deal on the biblical theology of the prophet Isaiah. In his understanding of a very important uh, element of the life of the church, and that is biblical theology and the eschatological fulfillment of Christ, our Redeemer, uh, and, of course, uh, what the church is. Uh, having said that, uh, as you know, I believe that uh, Acts is a historic record. Our faith is a historic event. It's not suprahistorical. It's not absent history. Uh, but the most important element of our faith, I believe, is eschatological fulfillment. Uh, that has begun. Uh, eschatology deals with uh, uh, future things, uh, and most all future things have started. Uh, at least that's my conviction. Uh, biblical theologians most often refer to this as inaugurated eschatology, so that the great eschatological events of the Old Testament have begun in Christ. And the great Old Testament promises have started in Christ. And I might add by way of uh, application, those promises are unstoppable. They cannot be prevented. They have begun and they are going to run their course. And you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, have uh, the great hope that we are partakers of those promises. And those promises, in that they will run their course, uh, we are part of the greatest event of all of history. Uh, one of my uh, beliefs of the sadness of the present age it is uh, that many people lack meaning and purpose uh, should not apply to the Christian because our meaning and purpose comes 
from the fact that we are the children of the promises of God. And they are unstoppable. They cannot be lost. They will run their course. Uh, the beginning point uh, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, is that the ascension into heaven uh, by our Savior is the fulfillment and validation of Christ as King Messiah. It's the Messianic King. It was foretold and promised throughout the Old Testament. And now he has come. He has uh, conquered death and risen to his heavenly throne. One of the great illustrations of this is in Psalm 2. I alluded to this last week. We'll not touch uh, on it uh, in uh, any depth this morning. But uh, in uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter quotes Psalm 110, which is perhaps one of the greatest of all the Messianic Psalms, and Christ fulfills it. In his ascension to heaven, it is also a session to the throne of God. And he sits upon that throne as messianic king. Uh, so you and I as the sons of promise uh, belong to the greatest kingdom of all of the world and we are sons of the king. Therefore, our lives are imbued with significance and eschatological reality. Now, I understand we're the sons and daughters of Mr. and Mrs. Brown or Black or uh, whatever your last name is, and on and on in terms of eschatology and terms of genealogy. But the greater reality, because of the great redemption, we are sons of the King. And we should, of course, correspondingly act like it. Uh, because of the greatness of his kingdom. It is also significant that Luke identifies Christ with the servant uh, of uh, Isaiah, the great servant songs. Uh, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, uh, Isaiah 50, Isaiah 52, and 53. Identification of Christ with great servant songs. Uh, one of the failures of the false religion of our age is that of the nation, the ethnic nation and the religion of Israel because they see themselves, or at least some of them do, as the servant of the servant songs. Uh, the church rejects that because uh, the New Testament identifies for us radically and clearly who the servant is. I think the prophet Isaiah does as well. Uh, and this is important for us. For example, in Isaiah uh, 42, verses 6 and 7, we read part of the messianic mission of to open blind eyes. Uh, one of the great expressions of our redemption, we were blind. He opened our eyes. He gave us sight. It is probably a distant echo of idolatry because idols have eyes, but they cannot see. And the nation of Israel, rebuked by the prophet Isaiah, is given to idolatry. Not unlike our own culture, we are being blinded every day in and out, but not so the church, because our Savior has opened our eyes to see. Uh, 
It's also, I think, very important to recognize uh, the identification of the servant song. Isaiah 49.3, God says to his son, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will show my glory. And that is radically important for the life of the church because Jesus Christ is the new Israel. And when we identify with Him in His death and resurrection, we are the new Israel. Meaning that in the Old Testament, the only portal to the living God was through uh, the cultus, the tabernacle, and the temple of ethnic Israel. Uh, if you were a Gentile, you had to go through that portal. Uh, no Gentiles ever came to faith in the Old Testament apart from that portal. That's all now over with. Christ fulfills uh, all of the Old Testament promises uh, uh, respecting the sacrificial system, and now He is the sole, solitary, only portal to God through Jesus Christ. It's the new Israel. Uh, and that's radically important for all of us as uh, uh, as Christians because there are many false theories about different ways to God. Uh, climb this mountain, go to this place, go to this temple. Uh, we go to Christ and Christ alone. He is the tabernacle and temple. And uh, we uh, are united with Him as the sole portal to God. Uh, it underscores the redemptive historical reality that salvation uh, is in Jesus alone because of his solitary perfections, which he alone possesses. Um, the nation of Israel in the days of the apostles, uh, days of Jesus, rejected this. Um, they would have none of it. They were still clinging to the old. Uh, by the way, many people in the American church cling to the old. Forget the old. It's Christ. It's the new creation. Sometimes we, as Americans, we have a hard time letting things go. We need to let it go. Christ is the new creation. He defines us. And He alone. And I believe everything else is idolatry. You cannot self-define yourself. Uh, there's no longer Jew or Gentile or male or female or slave or free, but in Christ. It's the sole portal of any significance whatsoever. And yet everywhere in our culture, people are hanging on to the old. As Christians, we should reject that because our Savior rejects it. He is the new Israel and the new creator and the new creation. Um, we we looked briefly last week at uh, the prophet, uh, pardon me, the Apostle Paul, as he cited the reason that he was turning uh, from the nation of Israel to witness to Gentiles, and he cites Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, because of the idolatry of Israel that is now still in effect. Uh, by the way, uh, that prophecy is uh, an allusion to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 29 and verse 4, in which Moses says, to this day you haven't believed because he hasn't given you eyes to see or ears to hear.
or hearts to know. But that's not true of the church because he has opened our eyes and ears and given us new hearts and the power of his regeneration. And so Paul uses this text, among others, as the basis for his ministry to Gentiles. And our summons is to embrace that reality. Luke does. Act chapter 4 and verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. He ransacks heaven and earth and rejects it all save Jesus Christ. And so should we. He is the only significance to salvation. And that's why the radical importance of identifying with Him. Uh, and our summons is to forsake and renounce all, all but Him. Uh, remember the words of the servant song. You are my servant Israel to whom I will show my glory. The church is on a quest for glory. We have it in Jesus Christ. Our world is on a quest for everything. The best vacation, the best job. All those things have a place in our culture. I get it. I understand it. I do some of those things. But the greatest quest of all of life is everlasting, unremitting, unmitigated glory. And we have it in Christ our Redeemer. Uh, the coming of the Spirit in Acts 2 is also an eschatological event. Uh, Luke uh, clearly states uh, that uh, the coming of the Spirit uh, is the uh, beginning of the last days. Eschatology. If you look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 16, this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Notice, this is what was spoken. The Spirit is going to fulfill the prophecy of Joel. Verse 17, it shall be in the last days, God says, and I'll pour out my Spirit. It's begun this great eschatological event. Uh, much of the church is saying, no, we're not in the last days. Well, I don't get that from Acts 2. We are in the last days. We are children of the end times. The greatest of all times because of our identification with Christ. Uh, it's also important to recognize that the coming of the Spirit was prophesied uh, in, in uh, Isaiah. Clearly inaugurating the last days. Isaiah 32.15 Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high. That's now happened. It's begun. Isaiah 44.3 And I'll pour out my Spirit on your offspring. The significance is that the Spirit will empower the success of the apostolic ministry and the church. It's a driving force. Nothing happens except the presence of the Spirit. A great illustration of this in the prophecy of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37, 14 is the uh, vision of the valley of the dry bones. And uh, God comes and says, uh, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. The sovereign power of God, who alone can make bones come together. Ezekiel 37.10, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. Verse 14, And I will put my Spirit within you, 
and you will come to life and you will, uh, I will place you in your own land and then you will know that I am the Lord have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord. That's now uh, been fulfilled uh, in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit has come, giving new life. It's very interesting that uh, the Apostle John uh, alludes to Ezekiel uh, when Jesus comes to the apostles and uh, he speaks to them and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So the prophecy of Ezekiel of the valley of the vision of the dry bones has begun its fulfillment in the apostles and the life of the church. We are alive because of the Spirit. The great coming of the Spirit. The sovereign power fulfilling the promise in the church. Our ministry is human, but dependent upon the divine operations of the Spirit given to us sovereignly by a sovereign God, making us alive, cleansing us from our sin, Ezekiel 36, taking away our hearts of stone. Reading a couple uh, weeks ago in one of my favorite theologians, Francis Turretin, Turretin says, God doesn't say, I'll patch up your heart. He says, I'll take away your old and give you a new one. It's begun in the power of the Spirit. Consistent with the inauguration of the last days is uh, the reality that the end time exodus and restoration has begun. Uh, this is the, the importance of the use of the word way in Book of Acts. Let's turn to uh, very quickly Acts chapter 9 and verse 2. Try to establish that this is an eschatological reality that comes from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 9 2. Uh, Paul asked for letters from him to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, belonging to the way, you and I belong to the way. Another reference, uh, Acts 19, uh, verse 23. And about that time there arose no small disturbance concerning the way. Uh, this is, I believe, an, an allusion to Isaiah chapter 40, in verse 3, it's the beginning of the great promise of salvation, the prophet Isaiah. A voice calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth the desert, a highway for our God. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The way of Isaiah has now begun as testified by the Apostle Luke in the book of Acts. Meaning that the end time exodus and restoration has begun. Initial primary fulfillment in the nation of Israel coming out of Babylon to return home, but the greater fulfillment now testified by the Apostle Luke is in Christ and the church. He is the way. He is the way. 
The Apostle John says, as you know, Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We are on the way. We are in the way. Returning in the last great exodus. What exodus is that? The exodus to glory. The exodus to heaven. We are on that way because of Christ. He is the way. We have begun that journey in Him, if you are a Christian. The importance of Christ. Everybody is on some type of journey. You and I are on and in the greatest journey of all of life. Pilgrims passing through, not making our home in this world, passing through, moving on, moving on, going where? To glory. Glory. So many people lose their way because of the Spirit. The church does not. I'm not unmindful that sometimes we trip. Sometimes we go on rabbit trails. We are still fallen. Sometimes we do stupid. But in the power of the Spirit, graciously draws us back to the only way who is Christ. This means that the first exodus from Egypt made possible by divine power is being reduplicated for us in the last exodus. Most important immigration event of all time. For some people, for some reason, people want to come to America. Some Americans want to go to France or Germany or Italy or wherever. Deep in your heart, we want to go to glory and to heaven, and we are on that path and that destination in Christ. The great new exodus. And the spiritual presence of Jesus preserves us in our journey. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to uh, Isaiah 49.10. Uh, this is, uh, context is the second servant song, uh, but there's language of the Exodus. 49.10, they will not hunger or thirst, neither will the scorching heat or sun strike them down, for he who has compassion on them will lead them and will guide them to the springs of water. Jesus says in John, you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have eternal life. He's food and water for us, metaphorically speaking. He's our strength on the way to heaven. Yes, we get tired, we get weary. He gives us Himself. He leads us to the springs of water. John 7, 37. He believes in me from His innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Because we believed on Jesus, we have living water. The Spirit constantly quenching our spiritual thirst. Yes, we're in a dry and thirsty land. We're in a parched land. We're in a desert land spiritually. You and I have water, the water of life in Christ. It is just as significant that God is standing up a new witness. Uh, Israel in the Old Testament was to be a witness. She forsook her calling. It's a parallel to Adam in the Garden of Eden. Adam was to be a faithful witness. He follows a serpent. He is kicked out of the garden. 
reduplicated biblically, theologically in Israel, who was a type of Adam. Uh, because of idolatry, she's kicked out of the garden land. And so God starts again in the church. So that the commission in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 8, you shall be my witnesses, is a fulfillment of Isaiahic prophecies. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10. The context is incredible idolatry, but not so the true people of God. Isaiah 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. Picked up by Luke in Acts 1.8. You should be my witnesses. We're fulfilling Isaiah 43.10. And my servant whom I am chosen, in order that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he, and before me there was no God formed, and there will none come after me. Verse 13, even from eternity I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act and who can reverse it. By the way, that forms part of our witness to the world. It's not just an act, it's also a content that I'll speak to momentarily. That there is salvation in no one else. Reject your idols. Reject playing God. Come to the true God. I think personally, uh, there's a very fuller uh, translation, Acts 1 8 of my witnesses. Also, give me translate, you shall be witnesses about me. About me. When we witness, it's about Christ. And that is the reason that we forsake all others and cling to Him. What is your only hope in life and in death? My faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The outworking of this is in the geographic expansion of the commission in planting churches. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the othermost parts of the earth. Acts is in part a geography lesson to the uttermost parts of the earth. Beginning in Jerusalem, the great Old Testament prophecies all speak of Israel being back in the land. Guess what? True Israel is back in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. Radical fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The expansion ends to the end of the earth, which is an illusion to the servant's song, Isaiah 49.6, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Paul ends up in Rome. He started in the east. He goes west. We know he wants to go to Spain. Whether he got there or not, I don't know. Constantly pressing the geographic boundaries as a true witness of the living God. We do that in our church. That's we, why we support missionaries in Uganda, 
in the Congo. In the Congo, uh, our representative, our agent, uh, has as one of his uh, missionary journeys to go into the forest to reach the pygmies, pressing the boundaries. Why is that? Because God says to Grace Bible Church, you are my witnesses. Uh, I'm not going to move to the Congo. So if you will, I hire an agent who acts in my stead as, as a witness of mine, a witness of Grace Bible Church about Jesus Christ. The gospel going to Gentiles. I don't know everyone in this room. I hope I do someday. I don't know if there's any ethnic Jews here or not. The gospel starts in Jerusalem. But it goes to the ends of the earth. To all Gentiles without distinction. Without any distinction whatsoever. Why is that? Because Christ is the only solitary distinction and we let everything else go. The Jewish Christians in the book of Acts had a very difficult time with that until they finally got it. They realized the Spirit, the Spirit came upon the Gentiles. That's the distinction, ladies and gentlemen. The only distinction Peter says, who am I that I should tell what the Spirit, what He can and cannot do? Who am I that I should tell the Spirit who He can and cannot save? He saves whom He wills. And we should be thrilled that He so does. And leave all other distinctions behind. Acts 13.47 For thus the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you should bring my salvation to the end of the earth. Christ is the fulfillment of that. The Apostle Paul is applying that messianic mission to himself. It also applies to us as a church, pressing the boundaries continually. As a Christian, you should do it in your neighborhoods, in your schools. The place to be very careful, by the way. Uh, but nonetheless, you can be wise. There are break times at work. Ask the Spirit to give you utterance and time and open doors and open windows. I believe as a Christian that nothing is by chance. When I sit on an airplane, I'm not sitting by someone by chance. Because I don't believe in chance. Chance is an idol that we worship in America. I'm not an idolater. I serve the sovereign God who governs all things, even, even who I sit by. And I, I, I begin to pray, Lord, if it pleases you, open a window that I can share the gospel. Why do I do that? Because God has appointed me as a witness. Why should you do that? Because He has appointed you as a witness. We possess the only message of substantive hope in all the world. There is hope in no one else but Jesus Christ. And again, I don't be pedantic about it. I, I try not to be anything but spontaneous. Asking God to sovereignly open doors and windows. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Beautiful picture of this in Acts chapter 16. 
Uh, Paul has been in the east. God gives him a vision to go west. Go west, young man, the Spirit says to Paul. And so he goes and ends up in a city called Philippi. And he hears about some women. And he goes to preach the gospel to them. And they listen to him. Something happens. Acts 16, 14. And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. We preach. God opens hearts. We speak the word. God opens hearts. He alone can open hearts. Used to say in the army, that's above my pay grade. My pay grade is to speak the word as a witness of God. He alone has the power to open hearts. If you're a Christian here this morning, your, your hope is in Christ alone. It's because He in sovereign power opened your heart to believe. It's very interesting that uh, uh, this mission to the end of the earth is also a fulfillment of the great servant songs. Because the servant complains in Isaiah 49.7, Isaiah 53.10, but God promises him, you will see your offspring. If you're a Christian, you're part of it. He's telling the son his sacrifice is not in vain. And nothing that God does is ever in vain. If he's redeemed you, it's not in vain. We don't do vanity. That's an idol. From the act of witness, Luke engages the content of witness. Um, Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 42. What's the church doing in Acts? Acts 2.42 So they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Focus on continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, They do not engage in deviation or or addition or subtraction. They take what Christ has given them. And that enforces their ministry. And God blesses the act and their content. Continually throughout Uh, the book of Acts, we read, uh, and the Lord was uh, uh, multiplying the power of the Word. Let's just turn to one reference, Acts 12.24. But the Word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Notice the Word of the Lord. We devote ourselves to that. I don't exegete society. I don't exegete for you cultural trends. Maybe as an illustration, passing though it may be. It's the word of the Lord. Why is that? Because that's what God blesses. It's what He blessed in Acts. That's His power to create and to sustain His church. Divine power through a divine word. Uh, It's also a fulfillment again of Isaiah. If you have your finger in Isaiah, turn to Isaiah 45, uh, verses 22. 23. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God. There is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. To me, every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. 
the word doesn't turn back. It goes from the mouth of God. It goes everywhere where God wills it to go and affects everything that the word from eternity past has so ordained. Isaiah 55, uh, verses 10 and 11, set within the context of the metaphor of uh, planting and rain and the power of God to water the earth. I'm going to read verse 11. So shall my word, which goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. It's a sovereign, creative word running to ground everyone that it wills to run to ground and without succeeding in the matter to which I sent it. That's what we identify with in terms of content, Grace Bible Church. So our church is identified with reliance on the Word of God. You turn away from that, very likely you're going to get in serious trouble. One of my convictions, it may not be yours, doesn't have to be yours. I said my convictions is we have lost our confidence in the Word of God. We don't understand Isaiah and Acts. And so we use excessive use of music, liturgy, and programs to hold people. I'm not saying they're wrong in and of themselves. What I am saying, the most important, the premier event, if you will, to use a boxing metaphor, the heavyweight match is God and His Word. Because if He attaches His Spirit to the Word, nothing can stop it. It's unstoppable. The Messianic power of the Messianic King and the Spirit is unstoppable. This is why, for example, uh, in his uh, last parting words to the church at Ephesus, Paul says, I'm not going to see you again, um, but I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And so, I just confess to you, I don't, uh, I don't get into social matters other than perhaps a passing illustration. Um, the main event, God in His Word. Specifically, as the church uses worldly means, it begins to look like the world. And if it looks like the world, it will not attract people. What attracts people is divine power. In the name of Jesus. And supernaturally speaking, the eternal purposes of God for meaning and relevance to these things that should engage us. That our culture is like the flower of the field. Sometimes very beautiful, I understand, particularly in the springtime. The prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers. All flesh is like grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. The benchmark, doctrinal succession. Some churches in our culture believe in apostolic succession. I do not. I believe in doctrinal succession. Uh, another critical fulfillment uh, 
Beyond Christ as Messiah, the coming of the Spirit, inaugurating new witness, standing up act as well as content, that's very important, is the inauguration of the end time tribulation. By Jesus. And one way that we know that is the servant songs of Isaiah. You read the servant songs. Isaiah is going to suffer. It's most beautifully expressed in Isaiah 52 and 53. He's going to suffer. He's going to suffer. He fulfills it in his coming and crucifixion. And when we are identified with him, we're going to participate in a measure for that. It's not salvific. It's expression of our identity. Because we are willing to suffer for his witness and for his message and for his word. Parallel to this in the book of Acts is the beatings and imprisonment of the early disciples, the killing of Stephen, the attempted killing of Peter, and the Jews chasing the Apostle Paul. Let's turn very quickly to Acts chapter 12. And about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. That's more, ladies and gentlemen, than just a historic event. It's an event of eschatological fulfillment. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Uh, by the way, you know the end of Herod, don't you? He was an idolater. And uh, he uh, pictures himself as a god. Verse 21. Verse 22, the people say he's a God, the voice of a God. Verse 23, and immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by worms, he died. One of the lowest life forms of all of life exercised dominion over this powerful civil ruler. Warning to us, be careful of idolatry. It does not have a pretty ending. Serve the one true God through Jesus Christ. Perhaps the best expression of this is in Acts 14 and verses 22 and 23. Uh, Paul is ministering, strengthening. Strengthening because he knows what's to come. The souls of the disciples. Encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying through many tribulation we must enter the kingdom of God. Many tribulations. You and I participate in our identity with Christ through sufferings. Uh, and the answer to it is perseverance. Continuing in the faith. Going the distance. We know from Acts chapter 12 that the dragon comes to make war with the church. What war is that? How about the end time tribulation? Imagine that. He makes war with the church. What should be our response? Revelation 14.12 Here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. The key to the journey, perseverance. The driving force of perseverance is the Spirit poured out upon us, enabling us. The beautiful illustration of this historically um, in the history of warfare, the great Zulu wars, 
about 14 years after the Civil War in America, if you want a time frame. Uh, but there had been a great uh, battle uh, in which 24,000 Zulu warriors totally destroyed uh, an entire regiment of British soldiers, uh, a battery of artillery. Uh, some of the scouts escaped. In their escape, they go by a place called Rorick's Drift, where there are roughly 140 British soldiers there. Not all of them were infantrymen, but about a hundred of them were. There was doctors there, medical people, commissariat people that were there, but it was, a, it was really a, a missionary outpost. Soldiers had occupied it. And as cavalry uh, soldiers were fleeing the field of uh, Islam Dawana, they were telling them, you guys better leave. You've got to leave. The Zulus are coming. They have overwhelming power and force. Get out while you can. There's nothing more terrifying to a soldier than to listen to his colleagues saying, desert your post. They couldn't desert because they were wounded there. And they had a greater duty to their own than themselves. True soldiers don't desert. They either were going to win or die in place. 4,000 Zulus came for 100 infantrymen. Those numbers are staggering. 4,000 to 100. The British won. Rorick's drift. We as Christians do not desert our Savior, our witness, our act, or our content. We persevere because he persevered for us. He is the divine power. He is our way. We stand our ground. Everyone else is deserting. Well, I've got my aspirations. My wife, my children need to be happy. On and on and on. I hear it all the time. I keep silent. It's the way that it is. Phil, we've got to do this. We've got to do that. This is what I do. Stand my ground. Preach the word of Jesus, a witness about him. That's what we do here because of messianic fulfillment, because he won, and in him we will always win, and that he will guide us with his counsel and afterwards receive us to glory. That's the only way I know Christ and his glory.